WGR Sports Radio 550 presents Uh-oh. Sports Talk Saturday. Don't tell me. We're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Most likely. Bring it on. On WGR. Oh, yeah! Sports Radio 550. What up, what up, what up? A remaster of a Sports Talk Saturday Open Classic. Keep that rolling a little bit there, Josh. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, Josh Schmidt, we're in for Nate for this edition of Sports Talk Saturday. And there's a reason I need to keep this music playing right now, other than the fact that punk rock rocks. Um, it's because I need to roast Zach. We're starting I don't, out I don't think imme- you need to do that. immediately, and I know Mark's going to be listening on this. Mark Schofield's going to join us in just a couple moments as well. So, it starts like this. 20 minutes before the show opens, we're uh, getting production done, everything like that, like, like good nuggets would do. And I re- start recording this for a bump for this open, and Zach just says, and I quote... That is so late 90s. It sounds like it should be on American Pie. And I got to tell you, anyone that's listening right now that likes my musical taste, that likes the punk rock, Sum 41, I died inside that moment. I needed a cane because I felt ancient. I would like to point out, too, that like I was informed <laughs> this is like a 2001 song or like 2002. Ultimately, I was correct. Late nineties is. I'm not saying fits into like 2004. Like that's I the am not line. saying you're necessarily wrong in the aesthetic. I am hurt to my core that you didn't know what some 41 even was, despite working with us at a Buff State radio station. Yes, this is not the classic rock though that I listen to. And furthermore, I could not have felt older in my entire life than when you had said that. Then, to make things even better, Josh, our counterpart right now behind the glass, who is younger than Zach, comes in, hears the song playing, and goes, oh, fat lip, nice. I mean, that was like a huge trader move by Josh. <laughs> I, need, I you, needed you. You should have known it. You no, should have known I, what I it was. needed you to like it know that I wouldn't know it and back me up. punk rock classic. And it doesn't even matter if you like punk rock or not. It is a classic. It is a hit song. It is well circulated. I knew, that song, I knew that song when I was three. I hope you know. Playing <laughs> I, NHL, I have not. Playing I NHL have no recollection well, I didn't know, of I didn't know the, the age of three. You I knew know the, the clean version. <laughs> I knew the clean version. I played NHL 2002 with my dad when I was three, and that was in that game. Oh, my God. So... Then um, I remembered the cane that Howard bought Jeremy after he had turned 40, and I, I could not have needed that more badly than in that moment. I feel personally attacked. I just I feel like, personally attacked. Just, you know, like without Josh, saying okay, it, without saying it, you called me old. Yeah, that's like, what to I my do. Face. That is what I do at this station. To I, my face. You with, called me old. Without actively calling people old, I call everyone I work with old. Just by my actions. Oh my god, we are off to a horrifically awesome start. And by the way, like we're making it sound like Josh is like younger than me. I'm 24, Josh, you're 23. We're the same age. Effectively, exactly. we're the same age. So, again, he knows it, you don't. You made me feel old, yet at the same time, Josh totally vindicates me, makes me feel better, and therefore we need to turn this on to you. Song still sounds like it belongs in American Pie. 
was, I was, I'm pretty I was, sure it's I was, in American it politics. It is. Yes. So I was. <laughs> it I, is. Nothing I said was wrong. You're just upset with like how it was said. I'm upset with the fact that you called me old without saying it. Just say it next That's, time. I get paid to do that. That's my whole job. It's everything I do here. So we're now going to make sure that we get an expert opinion on this because we're starting out hot because now we bring on one of everybody's favorites to bring on this station. I mean, I'd say the work relationship was so much more common around the 2017 draft when one Josh Allen would end up with the Buffalo Bills. I'm talking about my guy, Mark Schofield. He is joining us now here on Sports Talk Saturday. Mark, it's Derek, it's Zach, it's Josh. It's been a bit since I've been able to talk to you, my guy. It has been a bit, and I have to say, gentlemen, this conversation, I have never felt older in my life. My goodness. I mean, you got these two kids, 23, 24. I'm 45, and I feel like I need to sit down, get the walker, putter around for the rest of the day. This conversation has wounded me to my soul, but it has been far too long, Derek, and it's great to be with you guys today. Great to hear from you again, Mark, and uh, if you don't know or have not been following Mark Schofield, you're under a rock. Uh, the NFL Wire, he does tons of podcasts, Pat's Pulpit, BGN, Blogging the Boys. He is everywhere, and I do mean everywhere, and it's a dang good thing. You've probably heard him on all, all like you've definitely heard him on all of our other shows from One Bills Live, Howard and Jeremy, Show Bulldog, Nightcap, here, anywhere. We've been able to talk to Mark Schofield because the guy is a wealth of knowledge. So let's start it out, Mark. Enough of this trying to make us feel ancient. Um, we can shame Zach later, and I need to get to a very interesting thing that has been coming out from around the league. I don't even need to start bills here with you. What is going on with the Patriots offense? That is Derek, probably the million dollar question right now coming out of Foxborough and in talking to beat writers and reading some of the report. And it seems like they are trying to transition to that sort of Shanahan McVay tree on of outside zone, wide zone, a lot of, play action concepts working off of those basic core tenants and the report out of Foxborough is that it's been a bit of a rough transition. Now, you know, we'll wait to see what that actually looks like on the field. I mean, the, 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 re, uh, the idea that the offense is perhaps a little bit behind right now, one, when you're trying to move to a new offensive philosophy, I take that with a grain of salt Two, I've always in my experience in the training camps I've been in and been around defenses tend to be ahead of the game a little bit when it comes to training camp offenses tend to take a little bit longer to get going. And so I also take that with a grain of salt, but let's not forget another question coming out of Patriots camp right now is who's going to be calling the plays. You know, my thought, my belief was that it was going to be Joe judge. He had the title. He was given the title of offensive assistant and quarterbacks coach. And if you think back to 2008, last time Josh McDaniels left and went to coach the Denver Broncos, Bill O'Brien had those same two titles he ended up being the de facto offensive coordinator, the guy that called the plays. But instead, it's been Matt Patricia, who has senior offensive assistant and offensive line coach. That's his two job titles. And he's been the one calling the plays. They had their scrimmage last night. He was the one on the walkie-talkie. Is this just something we're seeing in training camp when most of the play calling is scripted anyway? Or is this what we'll really see? That remains to be seen, too. So you've got these sort of three little storylines, like moving to a new offense, Offense perhaps struggling a little bit in camp and questions about who's going to be calling the plays when that gets rolling. Where does that lead us? How good is that environment for 
for Mac Jones because everybody listening to the show right now knows beyond the fact that he's an alien put on earth to amaze us with his talent at the quarterback position, a good reason for Josh Allen's development was consistency around him. It helped to have Brian Dable around him all the time, all four years in Buffalo. That helped, that consistency and play caller and having a guy, you know, every day by your side when you've got inconsistency in play caller, inconsistency in offensive philosophy, that's not often the best environment for a quarterback to develop. And so there's a lot of questions coming out of Foxborough right now. Again, it's early in the process. We'll see. We've got training camp to continue. We've got preseason games and the like. But a lot of, a lot of unease around the Patriots' offense at the moment. Looking towards the defense, because, I mean, that's, I think, something everyone hears about is that the defense is always ahead of the offense in training camp. But how has the defense looked? I mean, they lose J.C. Jackson, who... I think for a lot of people is maybe like the main star of that defense. Have the Patriots been able to replace him or at least hope they have? Or is this defense looking more like the unit that couldn't force the Bills to punt in the last game of the year last year? Yeah, I mean, let me answer it this way, Zach. The reports out of camp are that Jalen Mills has established himself as the alpha corner in the secondary. And I'll just sort of let that statement linger because I think for most people you hear that and you think, well, is that is that really what you were hoping for? I mean, Jalen Mills, He's a solid corner, but he's not J.C. Jackson, who, like you said, was perhaps the star of this defense last year, or at least one of the couple of stars on this defense last year, and a player that when people look at, say, top corners in the league, he's in the discussion, and now he's in Los Angeles with the Chargers. I I think we always focus on quarterbacks. We always focus on offense, those of us in the media, and I'm guilty of this as, as just as much as anybody else. But I think the defensive questions might be the bigger ones that the Patriots face this year because they've lost a lot of players. There's questions about the secondary and who sort of establishes themselves as like the top dog. Is it, is it indeed Jalen Mills? Are we going to see more zone coverage than we've seen from the Patriots in years past? They did a little bit more of a zone coverage at times last year. Maybe that's where they're moving. You look at some of the names they've added, some of the players they drafted. It might seem like that's the, the direction they're going to go in. Questions about athleticism at the second level. They get Raekwon McMillan back, and there's been reports that he's looked good in camp. They have the Mac Wilson trade, but they're rebuilding that you know second level of their defense. Are they going to have enough pass rush? Matthew Judon got off to a great start, but seemed to slow down a little bit down the stretch. And when you've got questions at basically all three levels of your defense, I think that's critically important, particularly when, like you mentioned, Zach, and you know, thanks for reminding me there, but they couldn't stop the Bills in a playoff game. Like, they could not stop them. They could not get off the field. And when you look at the offenses the Patriots are going to face, beyond just the Bills, they face a ton of good offenses this year. How they look on the defensive side of the ball is perhaps, at least in my mind, the bigger question. Mark Schofield of NFL Wire with the USA Today. Joining us on the West Her Hotline, Mark I'm going to move on there as uh, as Zach probably went and uh, poked a nice little needle there at you. Um, I, I knew it was coming. I mean, <laughs> that one going in. I mean, hey, the last time we saw the Patriots, that's what happened. The last time we saw the Bills, something else excruciating happened. So, you know, it's 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 rough a little bit how the AFC East season ended. Um, but I'm going to stay in the division here because Miami, wow, um, tampering bad and. Uh, <laughs> Now you're looking at a team that is trying to uh, have their confidence expressed in Tua Tagovailoa, and uh, the next thing you know, this story comes out, and it's found that Miami has been trying to lure Brady into Miami. And, of course, they're trying to play this off as, oh, it's just ownership stake only. But uh, one of our guys, Joe DiBiase, he tweeted this out saying, 
we are one accidental, uh, that's in quotes, uh, Bill Belichick text from Tom Brady in a Dolphins uniform, aren't we? Yeah, and, you know, there are layers to this Dolphins story because, you know, that's a story that kind of runs on multiple tracks, but the main two are the the tampered allegations, which, of course, the league sort of dropped the anvil on their heads over. But then, and, you know, the tanking allegations raised by Brian Flores, the former head coach. Now, the league sort of brushed that aside, saying, yeah, you know, the owner said some stuff, but it was in jest, and, you know, there's no active attempt to lose games. But I don't know. When you look at the penalties that were imposed – on the tampering side, compare them with some other tampering penalties the league has held, handed down over the years. It seems to me like they hit them for both, and they just didn't really want to open the door to the tanking side of things, given that there's ongoing litigation. Now, of course, then there's the Tua Tango little part to this, because all offseason we have been told that, look, Tua is our guy, Mike McDaniel. He's on the phone with Tua the day he's hired, saying, yeah, my job is to get the best out of you. They go into the green Tyree Kill. They've got Jalen Waddle. All these weapons on offense, talents on defense, but it all comes down to the quarterback situation. And now here we are with training camp on rolling, and it's this team, man, I don't know if they really wanted you. So that's going to be tough. And now let's spin this forward, say, six months. They had two first-round picks going into this draft. Now they just have the one first-round pick, the one from San Francisco. If Tua does not pan out, now they're in a position where they don't have as much draft capital as they would have had had this these allegations all come out, they might not be in a position to go get the quarterback they want at the top of next year's draft. And so there's layers to this story. The Bill Belichick angle is, of course, incredible because, you know, we're talking about a man that has called it my snap face in the past, meshing together like three different websites. There's a great clip of him years ago. Daylight saving time comes around and he can't figure out how to change the clock in his new car. So, yeah, Bill Belichick accidental text is like the perfect capper to this incredible story. Continuing on with the AFC East, personally for me, I believe the Jets are getting much closer to being a respectable franchise. And I think the Patriots potentially are teetering towards, I don't want to say an outdated franchise, but I think that's probably the best word I'm going to get at 11 in the morning on a Saturday. Do you think the Jets really are closing that gap between the Patriots? Because I think the Bills are the one, Miami's two, and I think the battle is really going to be between three and four. Do you think the Jets have sort of closed that gap with the Patriots? Yeah, I think they've closed it. I'm not sure they get there this year. I feel like the Jets are a year away from maybe being a year away, or maybe they're just a year away. You know, you look at the young talent they brought in. I mean, I love Sauce Gardner. I mean, I said back in, like, last October, like, yeah, Robert Sala's drafting this guy in the first round, and Jets fans thought I was crazy. Um, Garrett Wilson is a great addition. Johnson, a great addition. To get Carl Lawson back, that pass rush could be really fun with Johnson and Lawson and JFM sometimes kick to the inside as well. And so I think, look, this is a team that the young core is there. Now, similar to what we've talked about with you know the other two teams in the division, not named Buffalo, with Miami and New England, a lot of it comes down to the young quarterback and the kind of stuff that Zach Wilson makes in the year ahead. And I think he showed signs, particularly when he came back from his injury last year, of settling down a bit in the pocket, being a bit more comfortable. But you do need him to take a big step forward. I don't know if it happens this year. But the pieces are in place for it to happen, say, in 2023 and beyond. And so do they get there in that sort of world where it's Buffalo, Miami, and then these two teams vying for three, New England and New York? I still think New England would come out at three this year. But next year and beyond is when I start to get a little bit worried about the Jets. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, division dynamic at this point, Mark. And it, 
I, I don't want to gloss over probably what uh, might have been your best comment uh, from your segment already, which was Josh Allen invading the planet to uh, bring us elite quarterback skills. <laughs> yeah. So the Bills are in this place that us three in this room are never have never been used to. A betting favorite for the Super Bowl. As a national perspective... What are your thoughts on just how good this Bills team can be and what your expectations are for this team going forward? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're better favorites for a reason. And, you know, when you talk to people that cover the league, when you talk to people that are employed in the game of football, but maybe not on the NFL level, maybe the high-level high college teams, people that, you know, know everybody that gets drafted each year, like – you know, recruiting directors, coaches, things like that. Everybody I talk to when the conversation shifts to what we're expecting this season says, yeah, you know, 14 and three, 15 and two. Like, people expect the Bills on a national level to be that good. I mean, I know when, you know, people put out record predictions and you see 15 and two, it's like, wow, that, that's impressive. That's a big ask. It looks like that's, this is the team that can do that with the talent they have on both sides of the ball. And yes, it comes down to the alien put on earth to amaze us, Josh Allen, who, you know, if you spun me back to 2018 and told me that, yeah, in a couple of years, this guy is going to be perhaps the best quarterback in the league. A lot of people would have said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but he's put the work in. He's put himself there. He has weapons to throw to. He's got talent in the running back room. You look at the defensive side of the ball. And I think there's talent on the defensive side of the ball as well. Perhaps, you know, the, the best safety tandem in the league, in my mind, you're going to get Tredavious White back from injury, Kair Elam. Ricky first round corner who's extremely talented you've got the addition of Vaughn Miller which is going to free up some one-on-one situations for Rousseau and others on the opposite edge they seem to have the ability to beat you in a number of different ways and sometimes when it just comes down to it who do you have under center and they have one of the best guys in the game and so look the talent is there the, 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 the issue is going to be the AFC is loaded conference-wise like, you look at the West, all four teams in the West, you could make a case, could win that division. You know, yeah, you know, the South probably has some issues. Houston and Jacksonville look to be a year or two away. You know, you might have some issues with, you know, what we talked about in the East, with New England maybe faltering a little bit. You get to the North, though, you've got Cincinnati. You've got Cleveland, dependent on the Deshaun Watson situation, how that plays out legally. You've got Baltimore. It's a deep conference. And so there are going to be t- some tough games that, all these AFC teams go through. Whoever comes out of this conference to represent the conference in the, in the Super Bowl is going to be – will have been tested, certainly. But when you look at Buffalo and what they can put out there and you look at what number 17 can do, it's easy to see why they're the better favorites. Mark Schofield, USA Today, pretty much anywhere where your ears can listen. He's joining us here on the West Her Hotline. Mark, let's skip over to the other conference here. And one of the big, big things I love asking you about is those young quarterbacks, the guys that – they're in their second year, their rookie year, the third year. But, like, the rookie class is, like, almost non-existent. Um, it's Pickett, and I don't know who else is really going to end up under center at some point this year. But there are some young players that we do need to look at. And one of the teams I'd like to shift focus here to is uh, the Giants. They poached Buffalo's assistant GM. They poached Buffalo's offensive coordinator. And the Giants are an interesting-looking team to me in that sense because I want to keep tabs on how Dable does as a head coach for the first time. Yeah, and the thing that sort of concerns me about, say, the Daniel Jones tenure in, in New York is, like you said, 
new organization at the top, new head coach. Anytime you see changes at the top, you wonder how committed the organization will be in the years ahead to the quarterback that they sort of inherited. Now, look, ever since the moment he was hired, Brian Dable has said all the right things about Daniel Jones. You know, there's a belief and a hope and an expectation almost that, you know, among Giants fans that, yeah, he's going to be able to, like, sort of save Daniel Jones and figure out what he needs to do. You know, similar to what we talked about with the Patriots, there are reports out of Giants training camp that you're seeing more quick game stuff. You're seeing more RPO elements, you know, to their offense, perhaps sort of getting Jones on some familiar ground because when he was at Duke under Cutcliffe, like, he was basically like, I think 61% of his drops his final year were zero to one step drops as charted by Sports Info Solutions. That's a ton of RPO quick game type stuff. And so I think that they're doing the right things, but again, we're now in year four, right, of Daniel Jones. We have been waiting, Giants fans have been waiting to see that leap. It hasn't happened. And so that's a team that I sort of keep an eye on. Maybe not making a switch this year. Yes, they brought in Tyrod Taylor, and, you know, maybe they decide that, look, if Jones remains ineffective at some point, they make a move to Tyrod Taylor just for the season. But that's one of those teams that I think might be in the mix next year for the next quarterback class. And so, you know, it remains to be seen how that pans out. But I think right now Jones is one of those young quarterbacks that's on a bit of a shaky surface beneath him. Looking to another young quarterback, more to these second-year guys, Trevor Lawrence. I, I somewhat talked myself into the idea that the Jaguars could be an interesting team this year, You know, preparing to watch the Hall of Fame game because that had a bit of a rain delay, and Trevor Lawrence didn't play. But with the, the tire fire that it felt like the Urban Meyer hire was and the Urban Meyer era was, with him having Doug Peterson out head coach, could we see – a second-year jump from Trevor Lawrence that the likes of Goff, Wentz, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, or even Patrick Mahomes had. Could we see that from Trevor Lawrence this year? Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I think it's important to remember, and I'm glad you sort of gave that situation the context, like tire fire. Like, that's almost too nice of a description inside the Urban Meyer era down in Jacksonville. Um, when you look at how he played down the stretch, when you look at that, you know, season finale and some of the throws he made in that game, and when you remember that with Doug Peterson now, you've got a proven track record of quarterback development. And you mentioned Wentz. I mean, 2017, before the knee injury, Peterson was part of a coaching staff that had Wentz playing at an MPP-type level. I mean, they certainly turned Wentz into, yeah, this guy's a first, um, second overall pick kind of guy. Yeah, we could see it. There's a track record of quarterback development. You are going to see some things conceptually. They're going to put Lawrence on solid footing. You can look at that Eagles offense, their, their offensive installs, and there's a lot of quarterback-friendly concepts in there, a lot of things that are going to be in there to sort of stress defenses. And I know, you know, it seems almost quaint now, but if you remember the Christian Kirk signing and the money he was given and people just losing their minds over it, now we've had a lot of receivers get paid since, and so that contract almost doesn't seem as outlandish as it did in the moment. What he does extremely well is push vertically out of the slot. He's a dangerous vertical threat out of the slot. And a lot of what Peterson's offense does is it uses that slot receiver as a vertical weapon more than anything else. And I think the parent of Lawrence and his deep ball ability, his ability to throw downfield with Kirk in this offense is going to be huge. And so are they going to make some like playoff run or anything like that? No, I mean, they're a year away. They, they've still got pieces to put in on both sides of the ball. But I think we might see that year two lead from Trevor Lawrence. 
All right, the last one I got for you here is going to be kind of like an either or this or that kind of thing. Um, second year quarterback to look better, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I mean, my heart wants to say Justin Fields um, because I was such a fan of his game coming out of Ohio State, but my head is telling me, look, it's Trey Lance. Lance is in a much, much, much better situation between the offensive play call and now I know, look, Getty you know, can do some things for Chicago conceptually, but you have Kyle Shanahan calling the offense. You have the weapons that are in place around Trey Lance, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. And then you have the fact that the offense that Shanahan has installed in San Francisco, you know, at its core is very similar to what Lance was running at North Dakota State. And so there's a lot of, you know, positive, you know, situations around Trey Lance and generally around the quarterback position, but Trey Lance specifically in San Francisco, that put him in a position to be successful. Then you look at Chicago, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, so there's that inconsistency we talked about earlier with Mac Jones around the quarterback position. You look at questions about the offensive line, questions about the weapons, have they done enough to put weapons around him? I know there's excitement about Vellis Jones from Tennessee, but they also traded for Nikhil Harry, which – Yes, he's a very good block and wide receiver. And again, he's a very good block and wide receiver. We can let that statement speak for itself. I don't know if they've put enough around Justin Fields. And so I think Lance is in a much better position to be successful. And I've expected a big year from him as a result. Mark, thank you as always for taking the time. And again, let the good people know where they can always find your work. Well, guys, thank you so much for having me. Always a blast. Look forward to doing it again soon. Uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, a couple of different podcasts, like you mentioned, Pat's Pulpit, uh, QB Factory on Bleeding Green Radio, Logging the Boys as well on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. And thanks again, guys. Have a great show today. And Mark is always the chief of this. If you get God on Twitter, you sit out for 24 hours. You know, 24 hours. Like, if you get God <laughs> by a fake account, you know, if you get a report that says, you know, Tom Brady has retired again today, and you retweet that. You gotta sit out. You gotta self quarantine the account for twenty four hours, kids. That's the rules. Those are the rules. We don't make them. Mark, thanks for taking the time. Good to hear from you again. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good day. That's Mark Schofield, USA Today, and we'll be hearing from him throughout the year because he brings that knowledge, and we were happy to bring it right off the gate here on Sports Talk Saturday. Coming back around the bend, this is called the tease, kids. Um, Zach had something else that was interesting that I want to revisit that he had made mention of yesterday. So I want to bring that up again and have a nice little discussion. 803-0550, I almost forgot the toll line there. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, Josh Schmidt, we're running this thing. It's Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Here for you know, blue and red game, you know, it's, it's incredible, man. It's, it's easy to fall in love with this place with you know, this type of fan base and this type of support, man. It's, it was cool coming out here today. 
Von Miller got his first real taste of Bills fandom. Well, I think his first taste was Bills fandom I mean, sending first... him toilet paper because he complained. Which, I mean, correctly, like single-ply toilet paper, which you will find at college campuses that is uh, a part of the pain, <laughs> is not good. I mean, we can all make an agreement that good toilet paper changes the attitude of a day. Yeah, I would say that. But... So he got good toilet paper, which I think really endeared him to like, oh, these people... Like, really do care about you. And then, you know, when he sees almost 40,000 people show up for a scrimmage Mm -hmm. to the point where there was, like, legitimate game day traffic going on to get to Highmark Stadium. Again, to watch a scrimmage is huge. So the first thing that I always want to bring up about that um, is, oh, by the way, Sports Sports Talk Saturday, Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, Josh Schmidt behind the glass. The first thing that I always think about, though, and the biggest parallel is um, Sabres fans flocking to a prospects scrimmage to see Eichel for the very first time. Yeah. It's just another reminder of, yeah, let's let's bring up old wounds. But um, I say it more in the lighthearted sense of this city gets behind any and all sorts of hype. And they do it in incredible ways. So it's very interesting when you see a player start to get that first realization but then like filling up a stadium for a practice well, we're not yeah. even ta- let's yeah. go Allen Iverson on this we're not talking about games we're talking about practice a practice a scrimmage in which you know Von Miller didn't even participate in the scrimmage he was wearing a baseball cap the entire time he had pads on but he basically mm-hmm. didn't participate and and to be fair this is Von's third stop he initially obviously was drafted by Denver wins a Super Bowl with LA He's seen kind of a mix. I mean, Denver Broncos fans are passionate. That is a long-standing fan base. Charger or uh, Rams, not so much. It's an LA team, so he's kind of gotten the mix of it. And then he comes to a smaller market in Buffalo, and really sees how that is with with their teams. It it is a it is aggressive. It is, and there's a reason why forty thousand people showed up is because we're a sports town. And he's really getting that feel of it. And it's not something that's new And to him. he's even seen the peak of fandom twice yeah. now uh, with winning Super Bowls and having a, having a part in one of the best defenses in recent memory with the Broncos and with Peyton Manning's swan song. So he does get to see some of the truest of like the highs of the highs of how fans can be. But then you see the Bills who, and I hate saying it like this, we haven't really won anything. No. But there is still the passion. I think that's a part of it is the fact that we haven't won anything. The fact that, you know, ultimately, and let's be honest with ourselves, the drought in and of itself I think really crystallized Bills fans' appreciation for the Bills rather than it being sort of the opposite where we got very negative. I think the Sabres have had the negative aspect where the drought really has sort of derailed fans passion and they had and they're and the Sabres Almost had creating to, apathy yeah. and the Sabres have had to do a really in-depth job of trying to bring fans back where the bills it almost seems like they've had an easier road to do it because during the drought it almost seemed like fans both appreciated the fact that we were losing a lot and it was almost 20 years and now they have you know potentially a top three quarterback for the next 15 years and an, an overall great team and a team that is always forward thinking it has really enabled them to really I'd almost catapult what is already a rabid, passionate fan base into another stratosphere. I mean, there, there's a there's a reason forty thousand people showed up to a, a a a practice, a scrimmage. There's a reason why tickets to go to St. John Fisher for all of training camp 
are was, gone. was gone in a moment's notice. There's a reason for that. This season is the most hype season of any of our lives. And you know what? I said I was going to get to your thing, but we're not going to get to your thing. We're going to get to one of the things I was thinking about. That is why, if you remember from a couple weeks back, when I said, does any of this matter until January? Um, I've since somewhat changed my stance, and of course mm-hmm. it does. Like, I, Of course, everything does matter. Um, you do want to see them look like the Super Bowl contenders that they should be. You do want them to be able to uh, showcase that talent on a consistent basis because that was the biggest problem last year. I mean, this team was 11-6, yeah. and six, and you're like, okay, they're very up and down. You lost to Jacksonville. Urban Myers, Jacksonville, no less. Well, I mean, you lost to Jacksonville, but to be fair, every close game – I think the Bills were like 0-7 in close games or one-score games last year. Every oh, one of their wins, 0-6. Oh, because yeah, the, the, one, the one loss that was not uh, the Indy one. Oh, it was Indy. One. Yeah, it was Indy. Yeah. It was, it was but then every other, every other loss outside of Indy was by one score. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting fact in the sense of I think there is a bit of a nervousness here. I, a lot of people I've heard have brought up the idea of the mid-2000 Sabres, that 05 to 06 06 to 07 feel and what's going on there and how a lot of fans after they started the year on a 10 game win streak the the idea of the season had changed and all of a sudden it really did become you have to win a Stanley Cup those are your expectations the Bills surprised people in 2020 by going 13 and 3 making it to the AFC Championship they they win playoff games it was a huge run and then oh and then 2000 uh 2021 wow I, that took a lot out of me to get that out. They go 11-6, and six, and they really do have a number of disappointing games. Jacksonville's one of them. Indy is crushing. Tennessee again. Tennessee. Oh, don't get me started on the Pittsburgh to open the year. There were a number of disappointments. And a part of me, though, is going into this season less nervous because I think this team, and it is still a young team in terms of playoff success and, and continuing to learn. This is McDermott's first ever head coaching job, so it's not like this is his own third, fourth run in it, right. and you know, he's trying to get another Super Bowl. It's not like Josh is a 32-year-old, 33-year-old quarterback who's done this, ro- yeah, he's done this rodeo before. Every season they're learning new things, and now last year they sort of learned what happens when you're now considered a feared team. What happens when you are genuinely going to get everyone's best hit? Now they all kind of know like you have to show up every day and be ready to go. And to be fair, there's also the statistic of being 0-6 in close games usually will revert back to the medium or completely flip the next year, because right. in that 13-3 year, they were 5-1 and one right. in close games. So ultimately, I'm nervous about this year. It should deviate a little bit back to the norm. But it should deviate. And to be fair, I just, I, I really do, I'm having trouble picking teams to beat the Bills. Because I know, I know they're going to have losses. They're not going to go 17-0. Yeah, no, that's just not a thing that is possible these days. But it's, it's tough for me to even say it's my bias when I'm like, I think the de- defensive line's going to be better. I think the wide receivers are going to be better than any point they were last year because as much as Emmanuel Sanders to start the year was really good, he he tapered off a bit because of age and just they were moving stuff around the offense. I'm, I I now, I, I changed my stance from, you know, does anything mm-hmm. matter to now this. This might become the most frustrating season of Bill's fandom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is because be. here's the thing. There are the teams of the 90s. They went to four straight Super Bowls, and I'd imagine that those ones at some point became the most frustrating thing you could ever see. Because you've been to four of them, and you lost all of them. Yeah. And at some point, like it's just like, all right, come on, enough with the torment. You guys are good enough. Let's get one. And now, this generation, our generation, has not had that kind of team 
to really be able to process. Like I was a baby when they were going to the Super Bowls. I do not mm-hmm. I was not a football fan. I was just a small child. Um, I could not necessarily comprehend what football was. I couldn't really enjoy it other than, oh, people are cheering, therefore it's a cool thing, yay. Because <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's absolutely. babies. Uh, that's children. So this is the first time our generation really gets this team. And it's going to become the most frustrating season of Bill's history because we now once again see them as this good, that they should do it. It is Super Bowl or bust. You know the locker room is saying the same thing easily. Mm-hmm. And it's also... This team cannot, how dare you, put another piece on the resume of the legacy of painful playoff losses. If you get blo- the championship game against Kansas City, fine. That was, you know what, it I was, wasn't, I was gonna wasn't say, quite like, your that year. One, it doesn't even register at all. It doesn't register on the pain index. Yeah. The thing is, is that this city, with both teams, has had a great proficiency in making us really feel it when they lose in the postseason. And I mean really feel it. And they cannot do this again. And yes, I know it's very entitled of me to say. But we are dealing with a team that is this good. They are a Super Bowl contender, and not only a contender, a favorite. I mean, they're a favorite. They're, they're, they're going to the Super Bowl winner to open up the season. They're a two-point favorite. On the road, to open up the season, they're a two-point favorite against the Rams. And that is... Without a doubt, just how good this team is. Because you have the top-end talent. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. You brought in a two-time Super Bowl winner because he thinks this place is the best chance to get another ring. Hold it right there. I was going to say, I'm like like that right there. So now, here comes the other aggressive thing I'm going to say. There is no more room. After something like this, there is no more room for the consolation. If a person shows up at that airport and they have lost in the most groin-kickingly way possible, I don't want you there. Don't do it. Stay warm. Don't go. The only time I want to see the Bills fans at the airport at this point, and I said this two years ago and I'm going to say it more now, the only time I want to see Bills fans at the airport now, two times. For winning the AFC Championship game so that you can go to the Super Bowl and damn well after it. That's it. I can allow that. I think that's the thing, though, That's too. it. Bills fans, though, had to build to that point. They Obviously, did. They, yeah, and it became a cute point. little thing. It was a nice story, especially with the drought breaker. That week was one of the most incredible things I've ever worked here for. But now, be expectant. I'm not saying be miserable, but be expectant. This team is no longer a cute story. It's no longer an up-and-comer. They are the favorites. They are the team with the target on their back. They are what you've been chasing for 20 years that has been kicking you down in the basement in the cellar for two decades. They are a shoe-in for the division. How messed up is it? It's still tough for me to think about. Right? I'm someone that, though, has spent the entire offseason trashing the Patriots, slightly trashing the Dolphins. I'm not as bad as Nate. And then, like, kind of building up the Jets. But, like, it's still tough for me to sit here and go, yeah, I mean, if they don't win the division, I'm furious. And I would be. I'd be pissed. Like, I'd be mad. Zach, I can't even think about what it would be because they won't. No, that's the thing. Like, it's tough for me to, like, rationalize, like, being mad if they didn't win the division. But then I'm like, 
But no, seriously, like you should probably go five and one. You should walk away with the division. You know, you've dealt with last year knowing, oh wow, we really can't just drop like these easy win games. Yeah. Jacksonville. You you can't you cannot can't do, do Jacksonville again. Cannot do it. I will tell you, and I want to get both your opinions on this, because I've been thinking about this and we brought up the Rams game real quick. And this is where it's gonna be a frustrating season for me. Let's say they start one and zero. I'm not saying they blow out the Rams, but they start one and zero. They start one and zero against the Super Bowl defending champions. It is going to be almost impossible for me to hold on till January. <laughs> like at that point, I'll be like, let's just get there. I like I knew they were better than the Rams. Let's just get there, and yep. it's going to be painful to like watch games against the Jets, Chicago on Christmas Eve. It is going to be impossible oh, God, for Chicago me to deal with that. On Christmas Eve? I gotta work. Christmas Eve because of the Bears? It's going to be impossible. Ew! But to be fair, I think a lot of Bills fans are going to be like that, though, where it's just at a certain point, and I think the 90s fans probably would remember this feeling, too, but it's just, it's going to be impossible for me to just, uh, a Sunday at 1 o'clock, yes, I'm watching football and I'm having fun, but it is going to be, can I just, can I just get to January? Because I know that's when it matters. I never would have thought that you were talking me out of that mindset two weeks ago that you would have come to it. I, I came to it. And, and it's not that nothing <laughs> matters. Like, I'm still, like, everything is going to be, I'm going to be pinpointing it. But if they start 1-0 and and they look good, Ken Dorsey doesn't look like, you know, a, a, you know, a freshman um, offensive call, coordinator, yeah. I'm going to be sitting here going, all right, we have se- why did the NFL move to 17 weeks? Like, like I'm going to be yeah, furious it's going to be can we thing. Get- can we get only 14 weeks? Can we skip the Bears game? You know, like, like can these guys go on strike and we have a shortened season? Something? I, that's all I need. Washington got a Super Bowl out of a shortened season. I that, it just again, anything? it's going to become it's one of the most tough. frustrating things of dealing with this season. And again, I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I am saying be ready for the most frustrating season that there is because if they start one and zero, like you said, it's going to be let's get there, let's get to January, let's get to. The I can't fun even part. imagine if they go like ten and one. Let's like get their to first this, eleven games. Oh, yeah. If like there genuinely isn't like this like weird. Feeling if they're of a buzzsaw, like, ooh, like they look a little shaky. What's if they're going the buzzsaw that the U.S. like the USA Today, Mark Schofield brought it up, like they're picking them to lose like maybe two games. Yeah, I, I see a lot of have have them at thirteen and four, fourteen and three. I've seen fifteen and two in predictions. Yeah. If they're a genuine buzzsaw, it is gonna be. We're all gonna be like grinding our teeth, going, "Please, no injuries! Please, no injury!" Like, it, like yep. that's. It's gonna be that for a month and a half. That's gonna be so agonizing. And like, I feel like this is what Chiefs fans have been feeling for the last three, four years, <laughs> or what you know, Patriots fans felt for twenty. Where it's just like, can we just like let's we know where the season really starts. We yeah. know when this team has to turn. And that's it on. the mindset I've developed. And. I know that that is so entitled for a fan base that has not won a championship, mm-hmm. but that's how good they are. That's how great they are. And we should be allowed to have that mindset. We should be able to accept that this is the new norm for this team right now. And this is also the tease for the next break the best shot they have. 8030551888552550 Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, Josh Schmidt. We're rolling here Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Welcome back Sports Talk Saturday. Derek, Zach, Josh, we're hanging out with you for two more hours. And we're just going to do a nice little reset here. This is not going to be your usual Derek goes off the rails with the show. We already did that in the first hour uh, right at the start because Zach basically called me old and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> Told you. I, that's, I get paid to do that here. 
People don't realize that's actually my job description. But, I just call my coworkers old in creative ways. But if you don't feel like waiting to hear Mark Schofield again describe Alan as the uh, wonderful alien that is here to amaze us and play quarterback, uh, you can use the rewind. Go ahead and revisit that. Or you can wait for when we put it on demand on the website at WGR550.com. So here's the reset. Let's have some fun today. Let's have some discussions. Let's have some nuance. Because what I said... Is this the most frustrating season we're about to endure in Bill's history? Is this the team's best chance to win it all? And, of course, courtesy of Zach from yesterday, I'm going to agree with him on something. I love the fact that he said it and put some real nuance into it. Josh Allen is already the best quarterback in Buffalo Bills franchise history. It's already been decided, and he's not even done yet. He's 25. 803 888-550-2550. Matt Perino joining us at 1 o'clock as well. This is WGR.